Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. Welcome to the Women in Tech Weekly Remix episode. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hey, I'm Kim Johnson, head of community at Geneva. We're a messaging app built for communities of all shapes and sizes based in New York. Yeah, I I think that breakdown is really, really, really good. And I, I agree with you that I think the indie creator community builders, especially at least what I see on Geneva are really create the most kind of, you know, magical, if you will, spaces because oftentimes they're creating communities where they're just passionate about something. And that might be wellness. It might be mental health. It might be being a creator, but it's all about the conversation. Right. And I think the, at least the underlying message that I hear from you on like the thought leader community builder is it ends up being about me as an individual, as opposed to being about the conversation and the connection that I can have with all the people who care about this thing too. And I think that at the end of the day, that has to be what whether it is you know creator a brand whoever that has to be an underlying the underlying theme of the community that you're building in order for it to really be meaningful for people on the first piece on the the indie creator community what we see a lot and what i believe is that like the creators who build the most kind of engaging places as i mentioned are the ones that have that have created around a topic, right? It's not like this is my space where I just share stuff with my followers, but it's, you know, I want to talk about this book that I love, or I want to talk about ways that, you know, other people have found to manage ADHD. We have this incredible creator who started a community for people with ADHD um, that's grown to like thousands of people in the past week. That kind of stuff I think is super, super meaningful. And I think your point is really true that community leaders can get burnt out quickly. And I think it's all about, I think there are a couple of things. I think one, especially when you're creating a space where it's all about the interest, you have the ability to democratize ownership a bit more. And I think that that's really, really valuable and something that you know, especially when you're an individual creating community is a really nice thing to kind of lean on, which is like, you know, I've created this space, but now it's, you know, a thousand people, 5,000 people. And I want to make sure that like, there are other people who are in partnership with me to make it run and make sure that it's healthy and all of that. And so what we see is, you know, I have uh, what comes to mind is that a queer book club on Geneva called Safflet and the founder Nina is a book talker. So she makes TikToks about books and she created this community. It's grown to like 4,000 people, but they really are a book club. Like they read two books every month. 
They have the author come speak at the end of the month. It's really, really cool. But she has what she calls her circle of trust. And they're all kind of in it together and responsible for, you know, making sure new members are welcome. And, you know, different members of the circle of trust own different rooms in the home, which is quite cool. And I think that having that kind of distributed ownership really allows for communities to be more sustainable, but also allows for the communities to flourish a bit more because it's like the leaders and the people who are really active and engaging people, there's many of them, right? It's not just one person. Um, So I think that that's a really good thing to do when you're an individual who's creating a community. Hey everyone, this is Natalie Kogan, the founder and CEO of Happier Inc., which is a company dedicated to helping you struggle less and thrive more by practicing science-backed emotional fitness skills based outside of Boston. It's expected, right? I cannot tell you when I first started to come out about what was going on and, you know, that I wrote my first book, Happier Now, where I shared some of the story of what happened and there was, you know, a lot of press and articles and interviews. I cannot tell you how many entrepreneurs I heard from, people I didn't know, kind of these, I call them like the quiet conversation, secret emails, who told me this is how they felt or they were close to that point. And they still believed that they could carry on and they still believed that people didn't know. And this people didn't know thing, I actually think is one of the biggest lies that we tell ourselves because in retrospect, Did people know the extent of how bad things were? No, because, you know, that's really personal. I mean, my husband knew, but that's it. But in retrospect, it was like a year before I hit bottom where people started to ask me if I was okay or if they could help. Like I remember, you know, part of it was I was leading the startup team. And by the way, I created a really dysfunctional culture. I just want to really raise my hand because I was pretending all the time they knew something was going on, but I wouldn't acknowledge it. So they started to pretend and not tell me stuff. So I there it was apparent to everyone because here's the thing about us human beings. We are so good at sensing each other's feelings because that's primal. We need to sense each other's feelings to determine if we're safe or in danger. Actually, in my new book, I talk about we all have what I call an emotional whiteboard and it's right in front of us. And people we interact with, they immediately sense, like you know this, you walk into the room and there's two people in there. You can feel the energy. You can feel their emotions, right? And so the thing about the emotional whiteboard though, other people see it through kind of fuzzy glasses so they can sense something is off, but they don't exactly know what. And this is the kind of stress I was causing for everyone. But again, this pretending thing, do you know it actually has a name? Pretending to feel good when you don't. It's called surface acting. Term in psychology, like a lot of people in caregiving professions suffer from it, like nurses and doctors and customer service representatives and retail clerks, because there's this expectation of, you know, a happy smile, like the customer is yelling at me and I'm supposed to look back and say, oh, let me help you with that, you know? And so, uh, but we all play with it. Leaders is a huge problem. Surface acting is a form of emotional labor. It takes a tremendous amount of emotional and mental energy for our brains to handle the dissonance between our pretending and what the actual feeling is. It's one of the leading causes of burnout. 
that I try to talk about as much as I can because burnout is not just about too much work. <laughs> That's actually not even the leading cause. It's about over-identifying with our jobs, pretending to feel good when we don't. And so all of the surface acting that I was doing was draining my own energy, was making things worse. It also makes you feel really alone because if you're pretending, you can't actually have any kind of human connection. And as human beings, we cannot function without feeling connected. And I was ruining the culture for the team. I was causing my team all the struggle because they knew I was lying, but I wouldn't acknowledge it. And I just like, if there is one thing that we could all get through, and this is, you know, I try to teach this now. I work with so many different people and companies and leaders like, if we could just recognize that when we share our challenges, it is not a weakness, it is not a flaw, nobody expects otherwise, that it actually gives us an opportunity to move forward with less struggle. Hey everyone, this is Diana Morgan. I am the head of community at the startup called Copy AI, where we specialize in AI copywriting. I am based in Los Angeles, California. When you're dealing with a community, they're not going to have something for you every day. You know, you have to think of and recognize this is extracurricular to a person's everyday life. So with that, what they contribute will also not, you know, it's going to have its own cycle and it all balances out. So I want to get into your background, but before we segue into your, your background, the last little piece I want to touch on is with this new technology of AI writers, where does authenticity meet AI writing? <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? I love this question. It's very much a discussion, I think, and it'll be a discussion for a very long time while it's being adopted. I think the biggest issue of today of any type of creative work is meeting the demand, right, of what you need to put out there. And I'm sure you can understand this of the many podcasts you run and many guest speakers and um, organizing all of that. But when you think about writers and more importantly, people that just have their own businesses and, you know, have to run a million other things, writing is something that is a fundamental part of any type of business, any type of role. And we don't always have the time to do all of that. So I think there's two ways to look at it. There's writing is definitely an art. I will never doubt that. That is one of my favorite art forms. But then there's also writing as utility. And I think that, you know, there's always going to be writing as utility, which you think of marketing copy and you think of, you know, social media copy or ads. Like, I wouldn't say those are life-changing, you know, phrases, <laughs> except for like, just do it or, you know, like slogans and taglines. But that's writing that a lot of people may not always have the immediate creativity to come up with or the skill set to do. And that can help enable people in many ways that they previously were not able to in the past. And then when it comes to authenticity, I think in regards to writing as an art form, a lot of the writers in our community have actually said the best part about having a tool like this is how it helps us brainstorm to have further inspiration of what to write about, right? And also, you no longer have to start off with a blank page, right? Like when you think of when we're in school, writing a research paper, the hardest part was writing the first paragraph, right? Like, my name is Diana Morgan. I am in fifth grade. <laughs> I have to write a book about the bluest eye. <laughs> this is my essay. Like even just writing that it was so painful enough, you know, <laughs> and to write something further beyond that for three pages. But with, you know, putting, let's say just putting in a couple of phrases and themes and being able to just 
see things spit out at you that have similar correlation to the original input has been inspiration enough where people can write off of that or they can edit down or edit up whatever is spit out of it. So I definitely think there's a lot of authenticity there. It's just, it's a new tool. It's not a replacement. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.